0: grace and peace, Natsar students. Here we are virtually meeting for the first time in this particular module. I think technology is an amazing thing in that it allows us to still interface and interact for our process of learning and development, even when we cannot meet in person. So I appreciate you all for being astute, for being uh, consistent, for being constant, and for being dedicated to this process. You know, at the end of this, Natsar uh school of the prophets training module there are a few course objectives that we are uh, aiming for number one you will be able to identify upon completion of this module the true from the false as it relates to the office of the prophet and any other prophetic operation. Number two, you should also be able to recognize and discern where you fit in God's overall scheme of his prophetic agency and his operations in the earth. And then thirdly, you should be able to be a conduit of God's prophetic stream, wherever you fit in, in the wide gambit of all of his agencies' operations, you should be able to be a conduit of, uh, a, of a force, recognizing God's voice and how it is to be released into the earth and how to cooperate with him and all of his initiatives and aims to get his will done in the earth. Those are the objectives for the course. And I really believe that uh, if you remain consistent and dedicated to this process, you will experience more than just um, the attainment of knowledge and information, but literally a spiritual impartation that will facilitate all of God's purposes. Let's jump right into uh, this week's class. We're going to deal with the prophetic gift phases. We're going to hit the ground running. We're going to jump right into it. Um, But before we do that, I want to visit a particular passage of scripture. Let's turn to Numbers, the 12th chapter. And we're going to look at something that establishes a very uh, significant precedent concerning the prophet and prophetic operations in the earth. We taught you in a previous class about uh, the hermeneutical law of first mention, and that whenever something is mentioned for the very first time in the scripture, it carries that exact connotation and meaning throughout the entirety of scripture, unless there is something in and through the process of the cross that alters, cancels, cancels, or Or uh, reverses that particular precedent that's been set in motion. And so as it pertains to the office of the prophet, um, we have to look at our predecessors in the Old Testament era of the prophetic uh, of the word of God to really get a, a thorough understanding of prophets and prophetic ministry. We establish uh, the difference in the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit does lead the believer through impressions and and leadings and nudgings, and how he brings us uh, into repentance. We talked about some of the agency of the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to God's official mouthpiece in the earth, according to our New Testament scriptures, Ephesians 4 and 11 and 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we see the office of the prophet as an integral part of God's governmental system system and structure for the ecclesia, which means that the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ did not do away with the need for the prophetic or the office of the prophet. Revelation 19 and 10 says to us that it is the testimony of Jesus Christ that is the spirit, the impetus, and the drive of all things that pertain to God's prophetic. So that means whenever Jesus is thinking, whenever Jesus is speaking, wherever, uh, whenever he is communicating to us, what is actuated is the realm of the prophetic. And so it is impossible to entreat God, to know God, to understand God, to cooperate with God and not have a very healthy knowledge and appreciation for the prophetic. Let's look at Numbers, the 12th chapter. And, um, We'll begin reading at the first verse. It says, the Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, this is the Lord speaking, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. I speak to him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so here we have God's mind on paper concerning the prophetic. Number one, God establishes through this text that there are prophets in the earth realm, that there are people that he has anointed, that he has called, that he has set aside and deputized to be his mouthpiece and his spokesperson in the earth. Number two, he establishes that there is a covenantal connection to his prophet where when there are violations concerning that prophet that God himself will answer people in accordance to those violations. Now, you have to get the whole entire context to understand this. Although Moses was God's anointed, he was the prophet, he was the uh, deliverer that God raised up and the prophet to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egyptian captivity and bondage. You have Aaron as a priest, you have Miriam as a prophetess, but they are also the uh, brother and sister of Moses. And so uh, it's, it's interesting to see the dynamic of how God chooses to defend his mantle before he defends his familial connection. Because I would just, and this is just me, this is eisegetically looking at this text instead of exegetically. If this is his older sister and brother having a conversation about who he chose to marry, that is not unlike what we would do today. If we see someone in our family being connected to or married to someone that we don't approve of for whatever reason, be it cultural, be it prejudice, be it bias, right or wrong, it is a normal family dynamic to articulate something you feel that someone in your family is doing good or bad. and so I. Feel that these are uh, Aaron and Miriam as as uh, elder brother, elder sister, looking at Moses, uh, saying, "Hey, you know, why did he marry this woman? Who is this Ethiopian woman that he is he is connected to?" And the Lord heard it. But he didn't hear it like this is his sister and brother having this conversation. He heard it as people who were violating a particular order as it pertains to the prophetic. And so if you delve deeper into the story, you see that the Lord comes and calls them into a meeting and he um strips Aaron of the priesthood and then Miriam is uh sentenced to a season of at least seven days where she was leprous and the camp was not able to move because she had to get put out of the camp for those days that she was struck with the leprosy as a punishment for speaking against Moses. Now, God also establishes in this text a particular precedent. He says in uh, verse six of the scripture that if there be a prophet among you, I am going to speak to this prophet in a vision. I'm going to speak to him in a dream. So he's making a distinction in prophetic class. There are prophets that God will talk to to through visions and dreams. We establish that this is the way that God opens up that channel of communication uh, between people when he is calling them into the prophetic uh, arena on any level. You begin to see things in visions and dreams, but he's making a distinction. There are prophets among you. I'm going to talk to them in a vision. I'm going to talk to them in a dream. But with Moses, there's another level of my interaction. He says, I'm not talking to Moses only through visions and dreams. There is a higher rank in Moses's administration. He says, I'm talking to Moses face to face, and Moses sees the form of the Lord. He is faithful in all of my house. In other words, God is saying, he's a prophet that I trust. And so why were you not afraid because of his rank, because of his position, because of my covenant with him? Why were you not afraid to speak against him? All right. So we have to recognize as we are delving into this study of the prophetic, that there are ranks of prophets and that how God interfaces with those prophets, uh, there are differences in how he interfaces with them, that there are different means and modes that he will use to communicate to them. But then there is also a different level of gravity depending on how God chooses to interface and interact with those prophets. You have to know those who labor amongst you. The Bible says that if you give a prophet a cold cup of water, you will reap a prophet's reward. So there is an entire supernatural backdrop to what makes a prophet a prophet. It is so much more than just discernment or perception or manifestations of some of the gifts of the Spirit. You have to see that the calling and the deputizing of the prophet of God puts them in the position of being God's legitimate and governmental spokes person. It is like the president's national press secretary. It is like the president's secretary of state. This is the person that when they open their mouth, you understand every single thing that that sovereign is thinking and saying and doing, and they are the official, not just mouthpiece, but representation, right? So when the prophet comes on the scene, we have more than God's voice. We have his aptitudes. We have his sentiments. We have his disposition. We have his behavior. We have his mode of operation as it pertains to anything. An authentic prophet represents God for the people that they are commissioned and sent to, okay? Let's look at uh, another scripture that is really perfect. Actually, look at two scriptures uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 9, and let's look at, uh, let's just look at verse 9. It says, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer, all right? And let's also look at 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, and uh, we'll begin at the first verse. It says, now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel and Achish said to David, you will surely know that you will go out with me to battle you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Verse three. Now, Samuel had died and all of Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Verse four. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Okay, and so the the backdrop and what ties us into the first scripture and first Samuel is that it says here in the third verse that Samuel had died. Now there was something that happened in the prophet Samuel's ministry that changed the entire infrastructure and context of the prophet's office from his from his inception. Uh, all the way now up until today, all right? So the first scripture we read shows that distinction. It says, formerly, the one that was called the seer is now called the prophet. And so contextually, um, the, the king was looking for his donkey. So I was looking for his father's donkeys. And they said, well, let us go and inquire of the seer so that we can understand where these missing donkeys are. And so they understood in their a paradigm that there were functionaries, that there were intermediaries between the supernatural world and the natural world, and that they had access to realms of information and that they could literally tell them things by the aid of supernatural agencies that other people could not see into, hear into, or know into. And so instead of just wandering around trying to find these donkeys, they said, let us go to the seer. Let us go into the one who can pierce the veil of the flesh and." Look Look into the supernatural world, and they can tell us by supernatural machinations exactly where these donkeys are. And so it shows us their consciousness. It shows us their understanding. Now, Saul being born into the prophetic, and we understand the story of Hannah and her barrenness and how she spent our life laying upon the altar of God, praying and interceding and travailing under Eli's administration. And God had shut her womb. He only shut her womb, not because he didn't want her to produce, but because he needed the economy of her prayers. He needed the economy of her tears, tears. So that lets us know that there are moments and seasons in our lives where God will shut up our productivity. He will shut up our ability to reproduce. He will shut up our ability to even produce the thing that he has promised because we have to sow in tears in order to reap In joy. People look to reap where they have not sown. And so God will put us in a situation and tie us to an altar. This is how you can tell the difference between when it's satanic warfare and when it is God's crushing. God's crushing will always tie you to a place of entering in deeper with Him. It will always tie you to an altar, always tie you to an encounter with Him, tie you to a visitation. So Hannah's there and she is murmuring and she is weeping and she is in travail of soul and spirit because God has shut up her womb, yet it births the prophetic administration of Samuel into the earth, the prophet whose advent or whose coming on the scene shifted the way that God entreated and manifested the prophetic. Before Samuel, they were not called prophets, they were only called seers. They were only those who had a supernatural ability to see into the realm of the spirit and communicate what was seen. But in Samuel's administration, God put governance with it. He put officialness with it. He put legitimacy to it and with it, so that the one that was known to just speak, into the supernatural now has become God's intermediary and functionary. And it is not just their ability to see, hear, sense, know what's going on in the invisible world, but now they become God's official instigator, actuator, and mouthpiece. And so this is what happened in Samuel's administration. And so this is not a light thing that Saul is now in the situation where the spirit of God has departed from him, where Samuel ha- has died, which literally establishes the end of an Official administration of God's voice in the earth. And then he also put all of the spiritists and all of the other people that dealt with the dark world of the occult and spiritism, put them completely out of the land. And so now Saul, void of the anointing of God, void of the voice of God, is trying to figure out something from the realm of the supernatural. So he's using the Urim in the Thummim, which is uh, the. uh, Part of the ephod of the priests, which was the garment that they would use to literally seek the face of God and to get answers. God didn't answer him. He sought him through visions and dreams, trying to have visions and dreams in the ninth season to get God to communicate. God did not respond. There were some prophets in the land. God did not speak through those prophets. Right. And so then it goes on to say this in verse seven. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium. Now, he had already put them all out of the land. And what a tragic travesty, a tragic occurrence when you don't hear the voice of God. And so you consult the voice of a witch. You consult the voice of a medium. Well, people do it all day, every day. Today, they just dress it up in nice St. John's knits suits for women and nice Versace suits for men, not realizing that some of the prophets that they have entreated and inquired of are in the same predicament. God's not talking to them. And so they have resulted to the machinations of familiar spirits. Well, this is the same thing that's happening here, all right? He said, go find me a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, "In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor." So Saul disguised himself. He's trying to hide the fact that he is the king. He is trying to hide the fact that he has given this edict and this directive that if there is anyone found practicing the occult, that he that they were uh, to be judged. To the point of death, he's trying to cloak himself so that they don't recognize him so that he can try to get this answer from the realm of the supernatural. And so it says he disguised himself, verse eight, and put on clothes and he went and two men went with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me. Now watch this. He's prayed. He sought God. God didn't answer. He says, now I want you to flat out deal in the realm of the occult. And I want you to get this answer. He says, do a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Now watch this. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And so he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. Listen to what the spirit of Samuel is saying, being brought back from the dead by the witch at Endor. he says the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me the Lord will also deliver, deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day and all night. Now here is something that is so profound about the operation of the prophetic. First, let's jump to this, all right? So the witch is, is dealing in the realm of the occult because she's doing a seance, okay? And so here's here's the thin line in the prophetic and in the occult. When you are a prophet or you are operating with God's prophetic gift, grace, or anointing, the only thing you need is salvation and the Holy Spirit to access God's supernatural world. That's all it takes. It takes your salvation, your born-again experience, your new creation spirit. It takes the infilling and the agency of the Holy Spirit. He is the connector between us as human beings in God's vast world of eternity and everlastingness and invisible spirituality. The Holy Spirit is the link. All right? Jesus Christ is the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He said, the only ones who come through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He said, anybody else that comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. So we enter in through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take a seance. It doesn't take transcendental meditation. It doesn't take oils. It doesn't take potions. It doesn't take incantations. It doesn't take blood sacrifices. It doesn't take seance. It doesn't take any of those things except salvation and the will of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit spirit god will bring us into his world he will give us visions he will give us dreams he will cause us to hear his voice he will cause us to see into the supernatural realm with astounding clarity to this point where i have been functioning as a prophet since 1996 i am still mesmerized by the prophetic anointing because we have nothing to do with it the holy spirit will give us insight he will speak he will move and then we sit back and watch it come to pass now it's not so with the witch indoor because she She's doing a seance. So she's entering in to the supernatural realm through the world of darkness. So a seance probably included some kind of incantation, probably included some kind of blood sacrifice. And she does this to call up the spirit of the prophet Samuel from the dead. Now, people have taught this erroneously previously because they said that this is demonic impersonation, that what she was really communicating with was a familiar spirit and not actually Samuel. But here is the catch that lets us understand the potency of what it is when God raises up a prophet. As soon as the spirit of Samuel begins to return from the dead, the prophet screams and recognizes, number one, because the spirit of truth is now entering in because God's prophet stepped on the scene. Now she immediately recognizes Saul's deception and sees that it is actually Saul and not just some man dressed up looking like something else. She screams, I know who you are. Number two, he says, tell me what you see. You're not going to be hurt. She says, I see an old man ascending from the earth and he's wrapped in a mantle which says to us that the first thing that the supernatural world has to recognize is the mantle of God's power, presence, and authority that is there to shield us and to cover us and to protect us from all of their uh, all of their machinations, to protect us from all of their instigations and all of their uh, onslaught. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's a good place to give God praise. So she recognizes the cloak That is upon the prophet of God. The second thing that that mantle spoke to her was of his rank and his position. She didn't know initially who he was, but she recognized the mantle of God and that it was the mantle of the prophet that was upon him. Okay so Saul is there, he gets the information and we recognize that it is actually the spirit of Samuel because he reminds him of words that he has already given. And then in addition to that, he releases even from the realm of death an astounding prophecy that within 24 hours, Saul, you and your sons are gonna be over here in the realm of the dead with me. And the word came to pass, All right? And so this gives us a huge backdrop to what it actually means to function as a prophet. Now, we don't commune with the dead, but we are intermediaries between the supernatural world and the earth realm. And we are privy to God's thoughts. We are privy to his counsel. We are privy to his instigations. We are privy to his enterprises and his programs. And then we become the conduits, the functional conduits that bring whatever is in eternity into earthly manifestation so that it can take its place and it can take shape shape, and it can take form, and the Word can become flesh in order to dwell among us. So from those scriptures that we just walked through, you were able to see uh, different dynamics and dimensions of the prophet, how the prophet relates to God, how God protects and insulates the prophet covenantally. Um, You also were able to see the ramifications of the prophet's anointing and mantle on both the supernatural and natural spheres of God, the implications of how the prophet impacts the supernatural world and also the people in the natural world. I wanna look at in this session, before we close, the four prophetic gift phases. Um, Next class, I believe it'll be, we're gonna deal with the calling of the prophet and some of the attributes of a prophet so that you could recognize and discern whether or not God has actually called you into the uh, functional office of the prophet and if not, it is still worth uh, understanding what that call in that ministry is all about so that you can participate and cooperate with God wherever and however he is moving prophetically. This is an excerpt from a training that I went through with, uh, prophet Tyler Price. And I think that it is very, uh, it is an invaluable tool in understanding how the prophetic develops in the life of someone that is called to be a prophet. So here are the four prophetic, uh, the four different phases of prophetic gift, uh, development. Number one, uh, Gift awareness is the first level, gift awareness. And it's important that we understand these particular phases um, because you got to understand there's a huge difference between having a prophetic gift uh, and being called as a functional authority and intermediary between God's world and this world that has been deputized to bring his representation as a prophet into the earth. Okay? The prophet is a functional governmental gift of the kingdom of God that is an expression of Jesus Christ himself, according to Ephesians 4 and 11, that is set in the church by God, according to Ephesians, uh, I'm, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It is important that you recognize how significant it is for one to be called and installed as a prophet of God, heaven, earth, earth hell, and creation recognize every authentic prophet that God has sent and anointed and commissioned in the earth, all right? And so it's important that those of you that are evolving and developing in your prophetic gift, that you recognize exactly where you are. If you're not in a functional position of authority as an officer, it is okay. Stay committed, stay holy, stay in the word, stay in prayer, stay sanctified, stay separated. Keep your righteousness intact. Keep your justice intact. Do justice. Keep your integrity and your purity intact. Keep your submission and your alignment with God's sent authorities in your life because there's no way in the world you're set in the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, secondarily to the apostle, and God does not have a divine authority for you to connect with and submit to. And it is important that you go through the full tenure of God's process of development. And then once you're And you're able to be released. You have to fulfill the commission. Most prophets make the huge mistake after they have gone through significant phases of training and development. They promote themselves to apostles, not realizing that God may take you through 20 years of training just to put you in another 20 years of a commission as a prophet, like going through boot camp in the military or for the police force. And when you graduate from boot camp, you never actually show up for the assignment. You never go to your post. You never fulfill it. And so it's important that you recognize that the completion of training, when God has really deemed that you are ready to be his mouthpiece in the earth, uh, it means that you have to report to duty. You have to report to the job. Somebody say amen. Let's look at these four different phases of prophetic gift development. The first one is prophetic gift awareness. The second one is prophetic gift expression. The third one is prophetic gift manifestation. And then the fourth one is prophetic gift transition. All right. So these are the four different phases that you will find yourself in as God begins to mature your gift and develop you as a prophet. Here are some of the things that we see in the the first phase of prophetic gift awareness. There are dreams and visions. We established from Numbers 12 and 6 that there is a, at the base level of the prophet's call. That if there is a prophet, that God will speak to that prophet and reveal Himself to the prophet in visions and in dreams. So that's the first thing that begins to happen. In addition to that, the prophetic gift awareness, just to let you know that you have a gift that God is even interested in using. There are senses, there are spiritual impressions, and and it's not like, uh, you know, that you have total clarity. It's not that you have laser sharp focus in it, but there is just this sense that God is speaking and communicating and moving. You start to to feel and um become aware of the fact that there's something more uh to your spirituality than just your own private devotion that God has some kind of interest in it. He begins to unfold your discernment. He begins to deal with your instinct. He begins to deal with your intuition and even your advanced knowledge of things and events. All of these things begin to be streamlined into your spirit and into your soul. And the only purpose that these uh, awakenings serve in in the kingdom of God is for you to understand that God has a gift in your life that he is interested in using, that you have spiritual receptors, all right? Now, here is a, a, a travesty uh, that we see sometimes in the body of Christ. We have somebody that may have a dream, may have a vision, may have some kind of insight prophetically. And then we immediately start calling them prophet or put them in a position where they're functioning as a prophet. And the reality is all they have had was the realm of the awakening of the gift. All they have is God opening up a line of communication between him and they so that they could begin to recognize um. That God has an interest in using them. What really ought to happen in this phase when God begins to awaken the gift is that you need to, number one, trust God to put you in a position of God appointed development. That means He's going to put you, Galatians 4 talks about it, under governors and tutors until a time that is appointed by the Father. He is going to put you with a spiritual father or mother or a mentor or a coach who has already been through the entirety of the process that you have been through, and they are going to be the tool of God. In your life to begin to nurture and develop you. Uh, many times, many changes begin to happen in people's lives during this prophetic gift awakening phase. You start to lose interest in uh, regular conversations and regular relationships. And it's almost like your life becomes encapsulated with the thought and the idea that God is calling you into something. And so you find yourself spending more time in the word And if you don't find yourself doing it, just choose to do it. Spend time in the word. Know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, back from Revelation to Genesis. You start to find yourself in intercession. You find yourself in prayer. You find yourself in worship. You find yourself being drawn to the things that pertain to the spirit and the kingdom of God. Congratulations. You are in the phase of prophetic gift awareness this is the awakening phase somebody say amen all right so after that process has ensued in your life the next phase is the gift expression phase at this level of the gifts exploration and discovery the primary focus of the vessel is now expression so you probably have walked with the lord somewhere around maybe let's say 3 years it, because sometimes it takes and and all of this is is It depends on the individual. It depends on your prayer life, depends on God's need. It depends on his his purpose and his timetable for your life. But typically, and I can say this after walking in the prophetic since 1996, having trained prophets, it takes somewhere around three solid years for the prophetic to soundly manifest in a vessel's life to the point that we need to start paying attention to what they are releasing to us. Now, again, God is sovereign. He can give you a word. He can bring you into his presence. He can reveal something. He can tell you to announce it to the nations of the world and and bypass this process. It's his sovereignty. But if you have that caliber of visitation with him and that caliber of word, you'll have that caliber of sign to attest to the fact that that's where you are and how God is using you. But in a regular prophet's development, it takes about three years for it to really manifest to the point where you give a word and we have to say, hmm. You're not just talking about, I had a dream about strawberry ice cream and then you come to the church picnic and they have strawberry ice cream because all the vanilla sold out. And then you're like, I knew that. God spoke, I, I God told me it was gonna be strawberry. Okay, well, it takes about three years to get out of that phase. Did God show you that? He absolutely did because it's important. I'm really laughing because people send me words like that. Um, but he's he's establishing the fact that you hear from him. He's establishing the fact that you have the ability to see supernaturally. Somebody say Amen as I try to transition out of this laughter that's creeping up on me. All right, but literally, people will do that. Oh, I had a dream. You bought a you you bought a blue car. Are you looking at a car? Yeah, I just happened to be at the car dealer. I was looking at the blue car. I was going to choose the black one, but chose the blue one. I knew it. God showed me the blue car. Well, yeah, He did. All right, we're not going to make you a functional prophet because you saw the blue car. Are y'all getting the point? There's a depth and a gravity that the gift awareness phase does not have, all right? So you are seeing, you are hearing, God is talking to you, but it's not important enough for us to need to write it down and pay attention to it at that phase. Now, the next level is the expression. They've been with God for three years. They're in the word, they're in prayer, they're separated, sanctified, walking in integrity. And now God begins to give them words that have a greater level of clarity and depth and power. And they are consistent in how they see and hear prophetically. This is now the gift expression phase, okay? Now, at this level, the person wants to express it because they want us to know that they're hearing and seeing from God. God is bombarding them with it. They could be sitting and worship, minding their business. And here comes God's streams coming into their mind and spirit and it's incessant and it won't stop. And so now they become excited that they can accurately prophesy. And so at the expression phase, it becomes Um, the dominant thing. They want to express. They want the mic. They want to pray. They want to pray prophetically. They want everybody to hear it. They're posting it all on uh, social media. Every status is a prophecy. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. Okay, well, that's great, right? But you're still only in the gift expression phase, all right? Receiving and hearing and saying are the single aims. God's talking. I'm listening. I'm going to say it. God's talking. I'm listening. I'm going to say it. God's revealing. I can see it. I'm going to say it. That's the whole dynamic of the expression phase. Healthy prophetic, healthy development, part a part of the process of maturation, it's just not where we need it to be, okay? And the attributes of the gift expression phase, they're driven by prophecy. It's the main impetus because they are genuinely hearing from God. Number two, performance. They want the mic. They want us to know that they can prophesy. They're driven by their gift. They're driven by their emotions, okay? They're driven by the sentimentality of the fact that they are in this realm with God and can see and hear. They do want the accolades and the audience and the people because it's not important enough that they're hearing. You got to know that they're hearing, all right? Um, some of this motivation is really self and it is externally stimulated because they're struggling with the the part of maturation. Now, this is a, a part of the soul's development. They're struggling with the part of maturation where... They are determining if they're going to be a showpiece or a mouthpiece, right? Is it going to be about you and your performance and your stage presence and the fact that everybody's patting you on the back saying you're God's prophet and you told me that and you prophesied that. These are also the people that put all their words out that they gave. We have a whole chronicle list of all of their words because they're driven by this external thing that includes the audience and includes the people. When people are at this phase, they tend to favor high spiritually charged environments, right? Because they want their gift. They want that. It's almost addictive like a drug. They want to be in that spiritual rush of adrenaline where God is speaking and moving. They depend on some form of spiritual stimuli to express their gift, right? Um, They enjoy high drama and spectacles. They stay away at times. This is the downside to it if they're not being developed accurately and properly, they'll stay away from training and education environments they just want to prophesy. They suffer often with intimidation, insecurity, and extreme vulnerability. Now listen, I've had people that we've allowed to function previously prophetically in our church as a part of their training and development who thought that they were the high-ranked prophet, but they were really only at the gift expression level because the reality was they were intimidated by other prophets. They were intimidated by what they could see or could not see. They were intimidated by their words where they will only have a piece of a word and God would be giving other prophets entire sentences of a word. And so this shows us that they were literally just at the gift expression phase. You have to know where you are so you know where you're going, all right? They prefer isolation, introversion, and introspection. If I just stay over there in my corner by myself, you won't see the areas where I'm still being developed and still growing. You won't see where I'm not fully submitted to God and he's still purging and purifying and working things out. These are people that it's almost like, you know, you can almost see the schizophrenic nature in them. So in church, here they are, God's mouthpiece. At home, they could be filled with all kinds of vices and and issues and situations. And, And the reality is they would prefer that isolation of that home life instead of having to be forced to deal with where they really are prophetically. These are all just gift expression phases, all right? Here's a prophetic trap. Uh, on this level. Prophecy comes easy. I can hear. I can pray. I can I can prophesy. Give me the mic. I can do it. It's what I'm good at. Uh, I'm good at. These are people who say, why do we need training? God made us prophets. We don't need to be trained. All we have to do is say what we hear. Uh, but this is part of the downside to it, not realizing that it's just a means to an end. You're passing through this so that you can take on a greater level of um, maturation. Gift expression can be addictive. It can stunt your prophetic growth if you don't continue the process of development beyond it. Don't just get stuck there and stay there because you will never go beyond infancy in the spheres of the prophetic. And that's exactly what happens. Because if you have a mentor like me, I'm going to look at you and say, you just gave me a word that's a preschool word. You should be hearing deeper than that by now. Why can't you hear deeper? Because they're stuck in the infancy of gift expression. And where God was trying to bring you to a place to bring you to the next phase, you did not go and you opted to stay where you were. All right. So what begins as just awakening and a training tool becomes practice and lifestyle. This is how their growth gets stunted. It's just there to get you in to the mold of what God has called you to do. When you think that's the apex and you start announcing yourself as God's prophet and every time you open your mouth, you're God's mouthpiece and you're this and you're that, guess what you're doing? You're cutting off your own ability to grow and stunting yourself. This will hinder you and your ability to effectively enter official prophetic services, functions, spheres, duties, and features of God. The next phase is the gift Manifestation. At this level of gift exploration and discovery, the vessel's primary focus is manifestation. So now it's no longer just enough to prophesy. I got to know that those words are coming to pass. I got to know that if I decree it, it's coming into manifestation. I got to know that if I prophesied it, it came to pass exactly as I said it. Vain vocalization is no longer enough. Gift manifestors begin to look for tangible evidence that their words are coming to pass and that God is backing them up. This is another level of maturation. This is now covenantal, and they begin to shift and transition from the audience and the spectacular and the spectacle to God's intention and his design. Somebody say amen. Prophetic gift manifestors want to know how their gifts work, and they want to know how to get results prophetically. They can analyze spiritual climates and um, they can effectively manifest God's word. They shift from spiritual stimuli to spiritual production right? It's no longer I'm just in service waiting for something to drop on me so that I can give a word. But the prophet in the gift manifestation phase is now looking for production. What is God looking to release? What is he building? What is he establishing? What is he securing? What is he insulating? What is he dismantling? What is he remantling? Who is he remantling? Who is he, Who is he dismantling? This is now spiritual production where the gift, the calling, the anointing of the prophet is no longer there to feed their insecure. Or to compensate for their brokenness or their weakness or their suffering. The gift is there because God has a need. It's the sole purpose. It's the sole intention at in this phase of the development. The gift is there because God has a purpose for it. All right? They replace High drama for tangible fruit. They replace intimidation with confidence to measure their actual gift and effectiveness. They trade isolation for limited interaction. They gravitate to results over fanfare. All right. It can be addictive because it can boost the ego. It lends to prophetic independence and self-reliance because now you've got this thing going on. You know, if I hear it and I say it, it's coming to pass. It's coming to manifestation. You can forget that you are just a drop in the bucket and that everything that your mantle is able to produce and to release has to fit into God's timetable and has to interface with all of the other entities and programs and initiatives of God happening in your sphere sometimes through other prophets, sometimes through other ministry gifts, right? So as self-reliant as you may become as a downside or a weakness part of this, the reality is it's not about you and the scheme is bigger than you and the vision and the objective of God is bigger than you. So you have to know that, all right? Uh, God's will may not be the purpose. You may start to become an island to yourself. And I've seen prophets in this trap. It becomes what they want. It's not the assignment. It's, I'm gonna go to these 20 revivals because I got 20 invitations and these are 20 opportunities for an offering. All I have to do is prophesy. Well, it's not like that because God needs his prophets to be so abandoned to him that they only move by assignment. They move by commission and mandate, all right? You want a prophetic track record and not the assignment and responsibility to the kingdom of God. Sometimes gift manifestors in this phase shirk the responsibility of accountability. But when you are really being trained and developed by God, then you will come out of that particular trap. After we have done these first two phases of prophetic gift development, we'll end our class here today. Uh, You'll see another link that will explain the assignment that needs to be completed before we meet again. And when we meet again, we will pick up the next two phases of the prophetic uh, development. God bless you.